always follow your gut. Like if you can't trust your gut and who, you know, what can you trust? And, you know, every move that I made through my career, I, I, if I went to bed and I slept well, I knew it was the right decision. Hey, what's up people? It's Brandon Ferris and you're listening to A Quick Read, an advertising podcast that talks book smarts and street smarts with the people who have been there, done that. Today's guest is creative director Chris Zebrick, who takes us on his digital creative journey designing for brands like Ford and Mars. Plus, we tell the truth about Seth Godin's All Marketers Are Liars. You know what to do. Tune in and turn up. What's up, Chris? What's up, man? How you doing? Doing good. Welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thank this you. This day was destined. We've been trying to do it since <laughs> the bourbon days. So we we started off this entire show with a guy I believe you, you've you worked with in the past, Pat Morgan. Uh, I've worked with Pat many times. And he's uh he's uh he's one of your he's one of your good buddies, right? He is. So his inf- his 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 conversation was around a, a book by Seth Godin. And I find it interesting that you yourself picked a Seth Godin book. And today we're going to talk a little bit about all marketers are liars. Now, are you just that much of a cynic or did you really like the book? No, I really did like the book. (laughs) But I also, uh, if you think about it, like when you got into this business, you know, what did most people think you were trying to do? They're trying to, you're, you're trying to sell them something. So they always thought, you know, you're telling them a bunch of lies anyway. So it just kind of resonated from a title yeah. And then I just took it from there and just started getting into the book. And then um, it's been a while since I actually read that book. So I went back and listened to the book. And it's even better having Seth read it. Yeah. It's just there's a lot of interesting pieces that come out when he's talking about it that you don't get from just even just reading it yourself. So it was pretty interesting. That's awesome. So before we dig into some of those big ideas, let's get a little background. How does a guy like you get into advertising is this by choice did you fall into it were you hard up did you did you knock up a girl you had to pay the bills what tell us how you got there so i uh went to high school in milwaukee wisconsin pat's from wisconsin as well so yeah. that's how we bonded really quickly <laughs> the cheese the cheese it's all um, in the cheese but anyways I, I graduated high school and i did not have a clue what i wanted to do so i was like i'll do architecture as many creatives do, as sure. they pick that as their profession yeah. and uh, super accessible, <laughs> and yeah, a lot of money and a whole lot of time goes into that. And I, I just didn't, you know, feel like college was the right place for me at the time. Yeah. You know, going to all those other things, so I moved down to Cincinnati. My parents were already living down here. Moved back in with parents and decided like. I'm going to find an art school, at least an art school to go to. And I started looking around and was introduced to the Cincinnati Academy of Design, which unfortunately is no longer around, but um, I love this school. I loved Mike. I loved everything about it. And, you know, the rest is history. I went from there and uh, took an internship at Barefoot in 1998. Okay. So it's been a while. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're not new to the game. You're a, no, you're an old head, man. Yeah, you're a veteran. Old. Internet was barely around when I started. Yeah. That's funny. So in that program, was it was it was it about advertising design? Was it about was it an art school? Like what what was the focus? And did you know really that you're you're you were going to end up doing you know uh, everything from billboards to commercials to banner ads? 
Um, it was kind of a two-year, 11-month-out-of-the-year program. And it was, first year was color theory, painting, just understanding everything that went into yeah. visuals. And then the second year was all around how to take those visuals and actually tell a story about them, bring them to life. And, you know, and that's why this book is very, you know, very much on point for that life is like it started, you know, in college. And now it's like, yeah, you still got to tell a great story or else, you know, what are you building? Yeah. So you get out of design school. You said you interned at Barefoot. Th then what? Where did your journey take you? And, and did you get a job somewhere as a designer, a junior? Did you work your way up the, the ranks? Talk yeah. a little bit about that. My first job was junior designer at HSR Business to Business, okay, which is currently Gyro. Yeah, a little B2B. Uh, yeah, it's just, I went from doing you know my first website at Barefoot where I just kind of started to understand what was going on for the Masonette group, which used to be you know big around here. Yeah, restaurant, the, restaurant group. Yeah. Doing the fancy, the fancy stuff. Yeah, the Normandy. The snails and, and, the, yeah. and the caviars. And then uh, went up to do business to business at HSR. I was there for probably seven years. Okay. And then, uh, and, and while you were there, are you just like just grinding it out? You're just like designing stuff just all the time, doing print, just okay. doing a lot of print work, and and basically doing whatever anybody asked, really. Yeah. Um, and then I started getting some ground, and then the this thing called the internet came around, yeah. and they started a new division there, and me and one other guy left not really left the company, but left what we were doing to just do internet full time. And that's kind of how it started. And that's where I fell in love with doing just digital. So the di that's where the digital design journey began. That is now where it began. back in the day, did, were they using the, the terms UX and UI and CX and all the X's? Nobody X? had an idea what that was. All they had was the triple X. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's where all the, that's where all the uh, good stuff came from, right? Like video on demand. <laughs> So, but no, it was, uh, yeah, it has been a long time, but that was more, you know, websites had to fit in, you know, the whole website, five yeah. megs. Gotcha. And you're doing 30 page websites that are fitting into very, very small file size. So it's not very image heavy, more yeah. content heavy, not anything like what we do today. So you end up, uh, you know, getting pretty good at that and you land at sort of your first big stint where you were for several years at, at Rockfish, right? No, I went, actually, before even Rockfish, I went to, uh, I left HSR, somebody um, that used to work there during the dot-com days, bubble burst. They uh, were either laid off or left. I can't remember which one brought me down to Bridge. So okay. I, I went to Bridge Worldwide after that. And is that then, where you met Pat? That is, yeah, that is where okay. I met Pat. I think so. So you guys, sure. you guys ended up on the same bridge together. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I met a lot of great people at HSR. <laughs> I mean, I'm still friends with a yeah. lot of the people that were there. I'm married to one of them that I, you know, yeah. used to work with, and uh, and you know, it, there was a lot of great people there. But I felt like I hit a ceiling there that I couldn't get above, so I left. And I told my wife, and I was like, "Hey, I'm going to this little company." <laughs> That was probably about 30 people leaving an agency that had like 120 at the time. Yeah. And she was like, are you sure? And I said, yeah. Had an interview down there with uh, you know, a great mentor. I would say a great mentor for me, Peter Schwartz. He took faith in me right away just from the first interview. And you know, he's like, I don't care what we have to do. I'm going to bring you on. He brought me on. And you know, I stayed there for probably eight years close to. At Rockfish. At, at Bridge. At Bridge, sorry. Yeah, and then you know through through being bought, uh, Bridge got bought by WPP. Okay, so um, you were in the big the big guns there. 
twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, Bridge got bought by WPP. The leadership started to change. Things were shuffling around. It didn't feel as, you know, like it used to. Uh, I got a, um, one of the guys that worked at, you know, at uh, Bridge decided to leave. And I said, hey, if they need a creative director, let me know. Yeah. Three weeks later, I was working at Rockfish. <laughs> there you and, go. Um, that's where I was until, you know, VML, Y&R and all those things happened. And then uh, now I have my own place. So yeah. my own place is great. Uh, Craft and Create is doing well. It's, you know... It's awesome to run something by yourself for yourself, but I'm not, you know, I have a partner and, uh, you know, my, myself and Dom do really good work. We've always worked well together. And we said, let's do this for ourselves. And that's what we did. And there you are. And that's where Here I'm at you now. are in your journey. Excellent, man. So, so this brings us to the first uh, big idea of the book, you know. So one of the things that, you know, Seth talks about as he talks about, you know, how, you know, in marketing, we're, we're all telling stories, right? We're telling these stories that may be true, they may not be true, but the, the whole point is whoever tells this story the best can convince people to sort of buy into, uh, you know, a certain lifestyle, yeah. product, service, et cetera. You know, one of the things he outlines in his book, sort of um, several steps, you know, he's, he's got five steps that the book's based on, and we'll, we'll, we'll focus on a couple, but one of them is this this idea of, First impressions start the story. And, you know, he says, a first impression causes the consumer to make a very quick, permanent judgment about what he just was exposed to or she was exposed yeah. to. So how has first impressions been a, 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 a factor in your career, whether it's, you know, one of your past clients or where something you're working on now with your own gig, where how important is it with design and creative direction to land that first impression on a consumer or, or even pitching the work, you know, how do you make that first impression when you're pitching that work? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, uh, you know, with some of the clients that we have now, it was, it was not just that first impression. It was getting in and, and, and making people have confidence in what you're pitching and, and talking about, but then also inviting you back for more meetings. And, you know, so it takes a little bit longer to get, uh, you know, people to trust a new agency especially a small new agency. Yeah. Um, but once they do, they're, you know, we have had nothing but great reviews from everybody that we've worked with so far. And hopefully, you know, through those conversations that they're going to have with others, yeah. you know, we're going to continue to get like, you know, new work, new, you know, new opportunities. But it all came down to that first impression. You know, they, they got referred to us by somebody that I had a meeting with. Right. And that meeting just turned into another meeting, and then that meeting turned into work, yeah. which was great, you know. And you know, the first impressions are very important. Like first time I met you, yeah, I was like, hey, I like that guy. <laughs> Doesn't he's, happen he's, a lot, he, you know. He's just as goofy as I am, <laughs> but uh, you know, when it comes down to work, you know your stuff, yeah. And when you know your stuff, you can usually get people to surround you and do what you you know looking yeah. to do and looking to accomplish. So. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, work. Is there a piece of work that you remember in your career that where either you guys just nailed it and it was like the consumer fell in love with it and it just made a great first impression and it flew off the shelves or vice versa? Was there anything that you guys just bombed where you thought you had it figured out and then it got launched into the world and the consumers were just like hating on it? Like, do you have, you know, one or the other? Oh, probably thousands. <laughs> <laughs> Probably thousands of the latter of like, <laughs> this was a great idea on paper, 
boy, does it suck <laughs> when you produce it. I wish I could pinpoint something like that. I'm I'm sure anybody that listens to this that knows me is gonna like comment and like, what about this and what about that? Uh, there's so many. Like, I mean, we've had lots of good success, and you know, I've been ha- I've been fortunate to have you know the opportunities that I've had at different agencies that I've worked at and met lots and lots of you know way more talented people than I am. But yeah, there's, I'm trying to think of just like one instance of like, you know, you mentioned Ford, like we pitched Ford for months, three or four, maybe, maybe even longer months just to kind of get in the door. Once we were in the door, it was like, okay, they trust us now. And we took in lots of different things and lots of different ways. And, you know, and I eventually got myself off of that project completely, but it was still just crazy. So it sounds like what in that experience, even, even once you get in the door, you have to keep making that impression. You have to keep pitching the work. You have to keep selling, Hey, we deserve to be here. It was that an experience that you would agree with in, in working with a big brand like that? Is it, it's not just about getting the first project. It's like staying relevant and keeping the project. Yeah. It's, it's all about like, once you're in the door, you're not safe. There's always somebody trying mm. to come in and take that work away from you or do it cheaper, faster, or um, you know, different than what you're yeah. proposing. Uh big like big companies like that one, you know, they're you know, IT structures and different things. There's probably seven different divisions all held together by duct yeah. tape and band-aids, but like <laughs> there's a lot of different stuff going on. So you're always trying to, you're not you're always trying to sell, but you're always trying to protect as well. Yeah. And that's a, that's a whole different like feeling from, you know, where I'm at right now. I feel pretty secure with all the clients that we have and the people that we talk to. It was one of the things that I missed when I was at the agency world is I missed talking to clients every day. I missed, you know, that interaction time that I was having, you know, with people that ran the companies, were part of the companies that, you know, where this really matters to them. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, you make an impression with the brand um, that you're working with from an agency side or working with that brand, you make a great impression uh, on a consumer, you, you launch a product or whatnot. But in order to keep engaged, to keep things moving forward, one of the things Seth points out in the book is um, great marketers tell stories we believe. He says, um, consumers make a prediction about what will happen next. Consumers will rationalize anything that doesn't match that prediction. So, in your career, you know, as you think about this idea of telling these stories people can believe, how do you, what is your process as a creative director, you know, when you're working with your team, trying to push young designers, writers, et cetera, to tell stories people are going to believe? Yeah, it took me a long time to trust, you know, younger talent until I got to bridge. Like once I got to bridge and people trusted, you know, here I I was pretty young when I started you know started there I didn't have any kids and you know didn't know all that that world of adulting, <laughs> um, but once I understood it like just pushing somebody said to me once and I can't remember who it was said to me like your team should not be you, yeah, they should be means for you to express what you're trying to do and let them express it their own ways. I was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Like it, they're not going to do it the way I want. I'm going to do it. They're going to yeah. do it the way they want to do it, but they're going to do it the way that we're asking, but it, with their own you know interpretation if you will yeah. of that ask. So 
it took a long time for me to get to that point, you know, especially as a young creative director, especially at, you know, a young creative director in digital trying to make a, you know, storytelling, which is, if you think about it, like commercials, it's pretty easy to do storytelling. In digital, it's a lot harder. It's, you know, I, I feel like it's a lot harder to do that storytelling in digital, but you once you figure out how to do it and get that, you know, established first look view down, it's all it yeah. all comes together great. You know, in being a designer, you know, web sucks to do great design on unless you have great writing too. So you always yeah. have to have that marriage of both. And it took me a long time to learn that as well. It's like, yeah, you can't make bad words look good. You can't make good design read well if you don't have both. Yeah. So did you find yourself in in those phases as you were learning to become a creative director? wanting to just hop in the chair and just take over and be like, look, just do this. Like, did you find yourself having to fight against that? Every day. I still fight against it now. Yeah. Yeah, because I love designing. I mean, that's, that's, that's why I started a new company was to go back to doing that and to kind of get to where I was doing not just design, but still having that client relationship, figuring out the business standpoint. You know, I would say we're, we're getting better at the business part we're really good at the, the creative part. Yeah. Would you say that, you know, when we talk about the stories, you know, and, and telling stories, believing stories, I often, you know, um, think that we, we tell ourselves stories on who we are, who we think we are. Do you think that in the larger agency environment, you felt like maybe you were living the wrong story? Like you, you were a maker, you wanted to get closer to the work, you wanted to have more interaction with that or is that something that was unexpected you didn't know that until you got there and then you were like man i really miss this i guess what was it talk a little bit about that what did you like about having like being further away from the work and then what did you hate about being further away from the work yeah so being further away from the work uh from an aspect of like creative directing was more around um i'm i miss the work tremendously i i loved to get in into design but I knew that I was what I had to do to grow was to take on other responsibilities for the company, like do the business part, the brainstorming part, the brief part, getting all of those pieces done yeah. was a great way to just round out who I was as a creative to where I knew I was going to use those every day. But uh, I miss designing a lot. <laughs> and I love, I mean, I love designing. I sit with my kids, we draw, we do all kinds of different things like yeah. that. But I still miss that delivering something that makes somebody, you know, happy to pay you, basically. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. And I think that, um, you know, as as I talk to other creatives and and have these types of conversations, I think sometimes where we where we hold ourselves back is we tell ourselves a story that we think that limits us. You know, do, did you ever find yourself in your career feeling limited by your own sort of constraints of well, I you know, that's not really me. I'm this type of guy or I'm this type of creative or this type of designer or were you, and and if so, how did you get beyond that? Or are you still wrestling with those sort of things? No, I wrestle with it every day. Still to this day. Um, You know, design was something that I've done my whole life, even before, you know, just sitting down with, you know, box of crayons and figuring (laughs) stuff out. Uh, But still, it's one of those things where if I didn't do this, I don't know what I would be doing. Yeah, like that's how much it is of me. 
to where if I didn't go into this profession, I'm pretty sure if I still stayed in Milwaukee and hung out with the <laughs> friends that I hung out with, I yeah. would have a whole different life. And it's, it wouldn't involve doing creative. If it didn't involve doing creative, I don't know what it would be. Yeah. What, like, what's a project? You know, if you t- take a minute and just think of for a second, what was the last project where you were in the work, you felt like you were in your story, you were in your moment, you were doing your thing your hands were, were, were active, you were making the design, you were using your new skills that you learned through leading and creative leadership and talking with clients, et cetera. But take us to that project and, and maybe break it down as not necessarily a case study, but talk a little bit about why that project was meaningful to you. Man, I'd have to think. Well, like we work for a security company right now and, and, and they're great clients. They, uh, are you know they're wonderful to work with but they're still kind of stuck in that situation where they want to be bigger yeah but they don't want to lose that family aspect which you know you have to respect right like yeah they love uh their employees they don't want to be so big that they lose track of who their employees are but they also want to grow um so they hired us to kind of help them figure out how to get work done faster so we're building apps for them um, you know, iPad app that goes out into the field. They do all of their um, all of their inspection on. It's yeah. all calculated. It's kept through. And what you know, what we basically have done is you know tried to figure out a way to prove out ROI on that app so that they get a return on their investment. And that return on investment is basically how they pay for the app. You know, because we're going to allow them to do more things in the field and get yeah. more inspections done. Um, it's been a long process, but it's a great piece of work and there, and it's for a great company. And, and I would say like in all the years that I was at Rockfish, we did a lot of great work, uh, you know, whether it was Walmart, Mars, you know, all the different clients that we worked with there, it still wasn't as fulfilling as doing an inspection app because the inspection app is, it's got meaning behind it. It's not just telling a story for story's sake, it's telling a story that, somebody can go and use it actually makes their job easier it makes their job you know it allows them to do more it allows them to get paid more it allow it's got a fulfillment to it even yeah. um at the end of the day they get to go you know use and it makes them feel good using it so do you think as a as a creative the that fulfillment increases the smaller the brand is or the closer you are to the whole operation, meaning, you know, you just mentioned, uh, you know, I'm assuming this organization, you're talking with the people who own it or run it yeah. or at the top. And I'm sure you were, you know, in past in your career working with larger brands, whether it be Ford, Walmart or whoever, you were yeah. probably talking with people that had, you know, tremendous power and say, but at the end of the day, it's such a large entity and you were probably working on such a small component to that large entity it, so that's what I'm hearing. Do you find that to be true? The smaller the client, the potential greater fulfillment, or is that just a myth? Um, it's probably a little bit of truth in there somewhere, but um, there's probably a little myth in there as well. I mean, <laughs> it, it all depends. Like, you know, what what are you doing for that company? What are you getting in and doing? Are you um, redoing their corporate website where everybody that touches it from a corporate perspective is going to go, oh, look, at this is nice and new and shiny. Or are you doing a division, you know, like, through the days that I was at, you know, at at Bridge, we probably launched and redid thirty eight P and G brands. Wow! And worked, you know, everything <laughs> from Homemade Simple to all the other yeah. brands, you know, 
what whatever it happened to be, but like I think I redesigned Swiffer three times while I was there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. and, you know, because like the brand, even when even when you fulfill everything to a T for a brand manager, that brand manager leaves and the next yeah. one comes on, they want to redo it. Well, and that's a it's kind of a dusty brand, right? So it takes a while to you gotta redo it every year. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a dusty brand. There you go. That's why I'm here. I, I bring in those type of comments. Um, man, that's that's just really interesting. I, lo- I love talking and, and hearing different people's experience. Um, you know, as far as again, you know, when you think about those those stories, you know, is there a is there a story for you that like you've thought about stepping into? I mean, obviously, you're in the midst of this new chapter, right? You're yeah. you're doing your own company, your own thing. Is there something else that you're like, you know, because what I know to be true about creatives is creatives have like all sorts of things happening at once, right? So you got side projects and side hustles and side hustles for your side hustle, that sort of thing. Is there anything that, you know, now that you're sort of starting to live the truth of 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 your current, you know, uh, company, um, is there anything that you're like, okay, well, here's how we can build on that or here's the next thing I'm kind of starting to tinker with? Um. Yeah, I mean, we've been trying to figure out how to, you know, grow. Yeah. Because, like, that's a big, you know, and I, I, I don't feel like it's a super important thing to have happen right now just because I think what we're doing, you know, being small has been great. Um, so we're always trying to figure out, like, what can we do? Do we merge with others? Do we, um, you know, figure out how to uh, bring on some employees, things like that that are always on top of mind of, like, how to grow? But, um you know, here's a funny story. I, you know, my wife and my kids and I uh, wanted to go skiing. So we went skiing. I suck at it. I've never skied in my life. <laughs> and, you know, they loved it. But my legs going four different ways does not agree with me. And especially as I got older, you know, and like my first time skiing was like 45 years old. That's oh, not man. a great first time. It hurts. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was miserable. But like, I tell you that story because like, for me, I thought like I could get on skis and just do it. Yeah. I've never not been able to, you know, I can skateboard still. I can do all these other things, but you know, getting on skis, not me, but, um, yeah, getting out and doing something new. I thought that was what I was going to do. No, that wasn't what I was going <laughs> to do. <laughs> that day was, uh, it's still embedded, you know, ingrained into my brain of like, that's a failure. <laughs> that was a miserable failure. So, um, and I'm, you know, I'm always open to try, you know, wanting to try new things, yeah. do new things. Um, I always thought I wanted to be a graffiti artist and I was like, yeah, I suck at spray painting, <laughs> but I'm really good at painting. Yeah. Just not really good at spray painting, but you know, design is just one of those things you got to get out and try a bunch of things, you know, and do what makes you happy. And I was at the end of my rockfish VML YNR days. I just found like, I was just not happy. Yeah. And and it wasn't a it wasn't a bad work thing and it wasn't a you know what are you expecting me to do thing it was I wanted to keep my team busy keep them billable because that was very important for what the time of the you know was happening inside yeah. of Rockfish becoming VML that was very very important so I did that but at the same time it was the grind of that was I'm I'm not happy so I got to go find something new to do yeah. And I think that's such an interesting insight because I think there's, there's, you know, people listening to the show who are, you know, they're at the top of their game, right? They're working at Ogilvy and they're working yeah. at Leo Burnett or whatever, and they've somehow 
come across the, the path of this show and they're tuning in. And then there's a lot of people who are just on the come up. Like they're graduating school, like when you were out of yeah. design school. And there's probably a bunch of people who are right there right in the middle, you know, where they're working at cool agencies and, and smaller markets and that sort of thing. And so I think oftentimes we look at other people's stories or their journeys and we think like, man, like you're on top of the game. You're at this like holding company level agency doing cool work with this stuff. And, you know, you're the man, your portfolio's dope, your work looks good. Everybody thinks you're, you know, cool and they want to network with you. And then yet there you are sitting saying to yourself, man, am I really happy? Right. So I find that interesting. So I guess, what do you say to those people listening in who think or have the mindset that the grass is always greener, right? Because you've come up in the game, you've worked at smaller agencies, you went to the bigger agencies, you're working on big brands with big names, yet here you are wondering, is this, is this what I want? So right. what about that grass is greener philosophy of, you know, is there another story that I should be chasing that you would want to say to young creatives or Maybe those who are just in the midst of transition right now. Um, yeah, I mean, always follow your gut. Like, if you can't trust your gut, then who? You know, what can you trust? Yeah. And you know, every move that I've made through my career, I, I, if I went to bed and I slept well, I knew it was the right decision. Yeah. And you know, I've had pieces of work that have kept me up all night. When you know, when you're sitting there dreaming about navigation, you're like, "Oh, this is terrible!" And like, I'm up dreaming about navigation <laughs> right now. But there's those times where you're like, "Take the chance." If if you're young, take the chance, especially if you're you're getting offered something that you truly fulfill, like truly feel is going to be a better situation for you. Take the chance. Gotcha. And, you know, if it doesn't pay out, there's always other chances. Yeah. And that chance might not only be joining a big shop, it might mean starting your own, right? It could, yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't think I would like working from home. We're being forced to right now, and I still don't really like working from home. I mean, I like being there. I like the whole aspect yeah. of, like, it's my company kind of thing. But I do truly miss like the interaction of people every day. Yeah, and I'll get back. I mean, we'll get back there, and then everybody will get back there. But it's uh, you know, there's so much zooming you can do, and there's so much <laughs> <laughs> there's so many other things you can do. All but yeah, zooming. always, always, always trust your gut. Yeah, you know, and I think that brings me to kind of a final big idea that I extracted from from Seth's book is this idea of um, marketers with authenticity thrive right so when when we're when we're looking at storytelling and and you know what we're selling or who, who we're becoming um you know authenticity is often uh, a factor that can be very powerful um you know in 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 the book it says uh, sometimes marketing is so powerful it can actually change the worldview of someone who experiences it what's been your ex experience around authenticity um have you ever had a moment, a mentor, a brand experience, something where you were just like, wow, that's, that's the real deal. And then on the other side of that, you know, maybe there's a moment you, you can think of where you're just like, oh man, this was a train wreck and I smelled it a mile away. Cause it, yeah. felt, it felt phony from the get go. Talk about authenticity. Yeah. I mean, um, it's a tricky word when you get into advertising, cause you're trying to make everybody feel like you're being authentic. But there are brands out there that truly are. Like we worked with um, at Rockfish, like Pappy and Company, which is like the offshoot of 
uh, old Rip Van Winkle, Pappy Van Winkle. Gotcha. And in, in you know, part of came up with a great equity triangle, great just like manifesto, like everything the brand should stand for. And and one of their key beliefs was you know being authentic, and and how they measured that um, was going to be pretty awesome when we launched the website. So everything had a story behind it. Yeah. And it was just a great little piece of work. I mean, it wasn't a huge amount of money. It yeah. wasn't, but it was one of those things still to this day, when you look back on it, it's like, man, that was a great just piece of work yeah. for what was for building a brand. I mean, we took a little tiny brand that was making some money online to making it a really great brand that's making quite a bit of money online. Yeah. Now, I would never be able to tell you how much they make because I have no <laughs> idea, but they are still living that authenticity story that we set up for them in a brainstorm with them three or four years ago. Yeah. Did you get to reap the the benefits of that project? No. With the bourbon? No. No. <laughs> you didn't get the I, I do that on my own. You didn't get the vats and barrels that you <laughs> dreamed about? Oh, <laughs> oh the stories, right? No. I wish. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's I think that's really cool because I you know I can think back to and and man, it just it's so much more fulfilling. We talked about fulfillment earlier, but it is fulfilling when you work with a brand who, you know, they are who they say they are, you know. Yeah. And when that authenticity is is there, just the work feels more true and interesting. The what you put out to the world is it's proud versus um, you know, there's been brands that that I think we've all touched where, you know, Yes, technically what you're saying is technically true from yeah. some angle, maybe. <laughs> I mean, look at look at when you when you go and pitch like a cigarette brand. Like yeah. you know it's just bad. Yeah. It's gonna feel bad even trying to sell them on something that like is really cool and really good. It's just bad. Yeah. And and you know, that's why you don't see that stuff anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just an over you know, there's brands where they no matter how authentic you're gonna be, it's still a bad idea. Yeah, because of what it is. Because it's broken. The right. thing's broken itself. Right. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's interesting. Do you think that authenticity, um, that idea, you know, and again, a lot of Seth's books talking about marketing and he's talking about brands and selling stuff. But I think you know a lot of these books that we talk about on this show really have a lot to do with just creatives in general, right? Yeah. Like how do we learn from each other and in, in our experience. How important is that authenticity factor working in the creative field? You know, you you have a partner um, with yeah. Dom, and you've worked on big teams. You worked on small teams. How much of a difference can it make to have a team that's authentic versus you know maybe having to work somebody work with somebody who you really don't feel is bringing their true self forward? Maybe they feel a little fake. What can that do to the work? Well, I mean, if you're working with somebody that feels like they're not bringing their a game and you know it makes it feel like everybody is working harder you know um but i think you know being on big teams for me was sometimes not very good because it brought out the you know it sometimes brought out the worst in me uh-huh. and uh and i know that and that's something that i had to work on for a long time of like very passionate person very very passionate about the work and it would come out probably in ways that it shouldn't have. Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, those are things that I've had to work on my whole career and life. 
But do you think that's because there was more, um, I guess, social social equity to fight for because it's being divided across more people, and you felt like you needed to be heard and 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 you you were trying to find ways to do that versus on a small team, it's really just a couple voices or. What do you think drove that? That's kind of an interesting insight that you saw about yourself. Um, I don't know what drove it. What what ended up the outcome of it was, yeah, I mean, when you got into like bigger bigger teams, you know, think about when the internet started. There was like there was a designer, a writer, a programmer, and maybe an account person uh, or or two, and that's who you divided that money with to to fulfill what the client's ask was. And now you look at what you're doing now. Data, research, strategy, Thir- yeah, analytics, thir- 13, planner. 13 or 14 different slivers. Project of the management, same, account management, design, yeah. copy. The same content. Ask, <laughs> the same exact ask in your, you know, you're asked to do it in a much smaller, yeah. uh, faster, you know, scale. But uh, when it got to be like that complicated, it's just like, look, the client's just looking for a redesign. They're not yeah. even really looking for the copy to be rewritten. They just wanted to have a new, fresher look on it. And it's yeah. like, we don't really need all of this. Yeah, the um, whole thing. And that's that's kind of what I like about what I'm doing now is like I can go in and ask those questions. Do you want to improve this? Do you want to do that? Yeah. Um, and get those answers and get the right people in place for them versus them paying for things that they might not necessarily need now. Yeah. So uh, I, I do like that. Um, but, you know, we all have uh, a place to play in the in in what we do. Yeah. It's just finding that place, and and often I would uh, jump out of my place. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that the place is yours, yeah, I'll I'll spin it back on you. So so we'll we'll use this to measure your growth. Maybe a se- several years from now, what what are you going to do now differently? As you talked about, you want to look into growing, craft, and create yeah. as you scale or grow or join up with another shop. What did you learn in your, you know, in your past career, early in your career, the things that you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this a little differently. And what are those, what are those things? Give me, give me one thing. What's the one big thing where you're like, you know what, I got to change the way I do this. If we're going to, if we're going to be successful. Um, I have worked tremendously on just being able to, to talk. Yeah. And have those the tough conversations, especially when it comes, you know, when you're when you're owning your own place, it's like, hey, you're, you know, when it comes down to finances, you're like, hey, you're late on this. I need this. Yeah. Um, you know, I think even with the new company, we've gotten, a, you know, got letting a few people get away with some of that stuff of like, they're not ready to pay. We, you know, cut them some slack, do that. But it's usually like people that we know. Um, I'm not going to call anybody out, but uh, <laughs> pay your bills, people. Pat Morgan, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's it's gotten yeah. down to um, it's just change. I had to change my mindset and and do a mind shift on myself. Of it's not all about me anymore. Because like when I'm at a big agency and you're collecting a paycheck, it it is about that. But it's also about the team. And now it's yeah. you know it's taking care of not only myself and Dom both of our families, um, we got a lot riding on this. Yeah. You know, we took a big chance taking out, uh, you know, both jumping out of VML YNR, both coming into um, doing this for ourselves. You know, our moonlighting was this, and it became the real thing. And, you know, 
I'm 100% behind making it succeed. And I don't think I've ever been 100% into anything from a career wise until now. Yeah. I mean, I've always been into it to make, you know, the companies grow and, sure. you know, do the late nights, do whatever it takes, do the hundred hour weeks, whatever it happened to be. But when it's 100% yours, yours yeah. you put 100% of yourself and yeah. maybe a little bit more into that. Well, and, you, well, one of the things I learned is, and, and again, I'm a, a, a small, small bit of ownership um, in, in various things along the way. And what I learned is you own the profit but you also own the loss. Yeah, and it's a hard, it's a hard hitting fact, isn't it? And it no, nobody wants to talk about that side of ownership. People think of you know jobs and careers, and oh, one day I want to be an owner. I want to be a partner. Well, sometimes the partner takes out loans to like make payroll. Yeah, you know, yeah, like in, it's 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 not a a sexy thing people talk about. You know, you, you talk about it as if that you're only going to profit. Um, but who knows, man? The world, the things happen. Pandemics. You know, next thing you know, you're you're wondering what the heck's going on. Um, so I think that's that's an interesting you know insight. Um, but you know, I think another question I, I think listeners would want to hear from you specifically because we haven't had any sort of designers or creative directors that have really delved a lot of their life into UX UI. Yeah. So as we you know we talk about we've talked about some of these ideas, obviously, um, but how does some of that stuff change in a world where it's like your design, it, it is design, but it's like design attached to like the way people do things and push buttons. Like how does yeah. that change the importance or the story or the conversation we're having, you know, just, to, uh, I guess to, to make a, the question clear and simple, um, how do you tell authentic stories about brands that move people with a des- with a design canvas that involves navigation and button pushing like how does that work it's interesting <laughs> yeah that's a hard question it's like a moving target right cuz you're yeah, you're like you know trends alone change every year yeah like how you know this year it's going to be skeuomorphic or you know something like that and you're just like oh are we, are we going to get the app done in time so that this is still relevant? Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a hard question to answer. It really is. Cause yeah. you know, when you got, you know, if you think about 10 years ago, it was how do we get a budget to do custom photography for this website that will only be used on this website? And people are like, Oh no, you stock. And it's like, yeah. well, that's not really authentic to the story. Right. Yeah. And I remember having, you know, plenty of knockdown battles about budget just to do that, just to do a photo shoot or to do um, a video shoot or to do yeah. just a tabletop shoot of just the product so that it was different and told a different story and helped tell a different story than what was being seen on TV. Maybe it didn't tell a different story, but it continued that story yeah, yeah. online so that it wasn't, you know, so we didn't feel like there was two different things going on for the same brand. It all kind of lived in an ecosystem of like the story yeah. and that story might have not, you know, might not have been set up by the agency that you're working in. It might've came out of New York or California or Houston or whoever you're working with. But like for digital and digital storytelling, like if you have other pieces going on, 
equity is so important. Yeah. And in making sure that that equity is consistent, I'm working on a project right now. I wish I could talk about it, but their equity is so authentic. It's really, it, it really is the core of how, why that brand exists. And hopefully, you know, we can come back and have a conversation about that. Um, but it's one of those things where if that authenticity is lost, even on just one page or one piece, it's just gone. Yeah. So it so, sounds like to, to, and I don't know if I answered your no, question. No, 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 no. I think it was great. And what I extracted from that was, you know, if you're going to stay in business and the design space around UX, UI, and these new features and functions and yeah. mobile this, mobile that. What I heard was you've got to master the art of continuing to sell a brand equity story in the midst of a changing canvas. Yeah, adapt. Adapt. So, yeah. Adapt I mean, you have die. to be, you. if you're going to go into digital and you're young, be prepared to be adaptable. Mm. Because you have to be able to change at a moment's notice. And sometimes it yeah. feels, you know, quicker than others, but like styles, user interactions. I mean, remember when Flash was around? Yeah. And everybody loved Flash. Well, the Flash sucked. <laughs> I mean, it sucked. It was the hardest thing. And, you know, you had to, you had a couple key people that were really yeah. good at it. Um, but when HTML5 came around, everybody was like, oh. Yeah, the shiny new thing. Let's adapt. And there's always the shiny new thing. There always will be. Sitting as a person who's sat in in the big holding companies, do, do you think a lot of those changes where we see brands, you know, get absorbed and change this, is that because of that adapting? Are they they're they're responding to the market? Oh, this is we're no longer doing it this way. So this this group that was built on that now needs to shift over here. Is that is that kind of what it looks like on the inside for somebody who's worked there? At a big agency? Yeah. When you're, um, when you're in that holding company world, is it are those shifts and changes? Is it more about adapting to the changing market, or is it really just a financial play of who's who's profitable and who's not? I guess it depends because like Rockfish was really good at digital, and we got um, and then it became you know more e-commerce and yeah. and e-commerce became the niche that you could hold on to, especially when you go into yeah. a big holding company where guess what? There's 14 of you in that holding company, just all different around the world. It's just, you got to be able to carve out what you're really good at and carve out what you can own. And, and that was kind of another one of those situations where you're like, Oh, are we going to be okay? We ultimately were going to be okay, but like, it was definitely like carve out the pieces that you can own. And, and the reason I left, bridge to go to rockfish was just the thought of doing something you know i was i was the fourth employee in cincinnati and it was just exciting to go and do something you know completely new start something you know there was offices in dallas and in in rogers arkansas but for here it was like there was five six seven eight of us quickly and that's how, you know, it stayed that size for a little bit and it was fun. It was like having yeah. a startup that was funded by two other agency, you know, locations. So it had like a really cool feel about it and had fun about it. But it was also like kind of scary because you're, you know, taking a leap and going somewhere yeah. new, but not to put in your agency's name, but. <laughs> so, 
you know, I think as we as we talk about being in advertising and we've we've sort of reflected a little bit upon, you know, Seth's book and hinted at some of the things he talked about. Here's here's my final question as it regards to the book for you and I'll I'll phrase it towards advertising in general. What do you think's the biggest lie about advertising? That it's easy. It's not easy. Not everybody can do this job. It's not easy. It's not for everybody. Um, but the ones that it is for and the ones that like it, love it. Yeah. But it is not an easy profession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think people oftentimes look at us and they're like, you do what? Like you guys are... Oh, that sounds so yeah, fun. Yeah, you guys are just, you know, making fun stuff and you have a culture where you can, you know have a bourbon at the end of the day or whatever. And like, you I get have a kegerator in your office. Yeah. I get so many people that, um, you know, that say that, you know, people that aren't in this world. Yeah. And then what they don't understand is like, this thing is built on like soul crushing. It's built on you bringing ideas forward and people telling them they're not good enough. <laughs> people that may not have the right to even tell you that telling you that they're not good enough. But it's a beautiful thing because at some point you come to really appreciate that. And like, you know, I think you, you will, you know, again, we talked about authenticity. You would probably much rather have a soul crushing, authentic critique that's going to make your work better yeah. than to somebody just to come glad hand you and say, oh, you're so cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather pitch a client on an idea that is authentic and out there than one that'll get bought and you're just going to be miserable bringing to life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like every, we can do that all day long. That's really easy to sell somebody, you know, what they want sure. or what they've asked for, but how can you take what they've asked for and make it better? Yeah. Make it more on brand, make it more authentic, give them, give them some ideas that they didn't think of to bring and like, Oh, I would have never thought of that. That's the best response ever. Yeah. Is oh, I would have never thought of that. That's perfect. You know, when you get those kind of responses, um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's makes cool. You, makes you feel like you did your job. You know, we did a pitch at Valvoline one day, and there was nine people approving work, and you're just like, "Oh man, we got to get this locked down." <laughs> how do we, how do you get nine people to get down to one idea? And you know, through conversation and in getting them to talk, you can. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're definitely figuring some things out and uh, you got this journey with always learning with craft and create. How do people how do people work with you? You know, people have, you know, listened in, they're like, okay, this guy's interesting. He's got some 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 things to say and uh, a point of view. And maybe yeah. they, they go, where do they find you? How do they connect with you? That sort of thing. Well, uh craftandcreate.co is our website. Um, you can always get on there, our Facebook page, Instagram. Um all of them link to either a hello email or my personal email or Dom's personal email. And yeah, just start the conversation that way. Cause I mean, all of the work that we've got so far, we've never, we haven't hunted for it. It's all been word of mouth or just through somebody being happy and yeah. referring us relationships. Yeah. And you guys work directly with clients, but you also work for agencies too, right? We do. So we kind of have like two sides of our business. So yeah. one of one of the sides is agency overflow, basically. When mm -hmm. an agency gets jammed up, um, has too many deliverables of their own, they can call us. We're, you know, I would like to think that we're pretty well connected just being yeah. in the, being in the city for this long. 
you kind of know and you know meet everybody through whether sure. it's like things like the Addies or or other kind of convention meetings like that. Um, and then so the agency overflow side of the business is 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 fun, like because that's you know you get to go back in and work with people, yeah. and do other kinds of you know do other kinds of things and different kinds of asks. And then we have our own side of the business, which is our pure like they're our clients. We do all kinds of different work. Um, had to jump back into print you know, once or twice this year. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where that's what's kind of exciting about being a small shop is you can kind of take on things and figure some stuff out. But if I were to say, hey, what is Craft and Create really good at? We're really yeah. good at taking complex creative problems and making them user-friendly. Yeah. That's what we do. That's great. And I think that's a that's also a great summary of, you know, when we talk about marketing, you know, and as, you know, Seth talks about in his book here is when you can take complex things in life and tell simple, beautiful stories that people can cling on to, yeah. then typically they buy in. Yeah. Right? I mean, the simpler you can make somebody, you know, understand something, the more that they're going to grasp to it and, and take it and do something with it. So, and, you know, I wouldn't have even come up with that, but through conversations with people in my life that have, you know, aren't in design more on strategy they're like you're just really really good at this complex part and making it easy so like we just kind of locked onto that and you know it's it's been true and we love it and like that's really it's a really good piece of um business and it was you know one of those things where somebody said it and i'm like shit that makes a lot of sense Well, I think uh, it's been a fun, interesting, complex, yet simple conversation. And uh, and I, I thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been uh, quite the journey. I'm still, you know, finding finding my way with what this show is. But I think that what's interesting is everybody brings such a unique point of view of of what creativity is, what creative direction is, what advertising is. And um, I, it just means a lot that you, you came and hung out with me. Thanks, man. I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, dude. Um, And we will uh, keep doing this every other Tuesday. We're bringing you brand new shows. They drop at 6 a.m. every other Tuesday, so it works out for your commute. And then on the off weeks, we publish a segment called The Bookmark, where I will reflect upon the previous week's episode, look forward to the future week's episode, and then share some listener feedback. So, Join with us um, on Instagram at a quick read podcast. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on uh, Spotify and iTunes because that helps us get exposure. Um, but yeah, man, uh, thanks so much, guys, for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. And Chris, as always, man, I uh, appreciate you and you've been a mentor to me. And uh, you always, thanks, man. I appreciate it. You always pick up the phone when I call. So that's half the battle. <laughs> a lot of people don't. I call, they see my number, and then it's, it goes straight. It might have been the now. beard. <laughs> well, the beard's gone now, so <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm not in. Uh, but again, man, I appreciate you, and uh, we'll, see you, we'll see you next time we have you on. Awesome, man. I appreciate All it. Right. Cheers, mate. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, head over to iTunes or Spotify and give us a great rating and review. A Quick Read is a Leap Group podcast.